Hello and welcome to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor. Those of you who don't know, I run the website, SmellsLikeInfiniteSadness.com. It's a blog covering the best alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. I'm a proud middle-aged Gen Xer who is still obsessed with the music of his youth and loves to talk about it. And this week, my special guest is Brad Lehner, best known as the guitarist and songwriter for Medicine, one of the most unique and uncompromising alternative acts of the 1990s. Lehner's unique guitar tone and playing style led to the band being associated with the UK shoegaze scene, even though they resided in Los Angeles. And they were so much associated with that scene that they were actually the first American band signed to Creation Records. Lehner has also done a variety of other projects, including The Electric Company, and has worked with artists like M83, and also has been sampled by the likes of Caribou and Brian Eno. Medicine are back with Scarred for Life. It's their first new album since 2014's Home Everywhere, and also the first album that featured the band's original vocalist, Annette Zelinskis. It features a diverse and unexpected collection of cover songs, all given Lehner's unique sonic signature. In today's interview, I chat with Lehner about what inspired this collection of covers, what it was like reuniting with Zelinskis, his memories of the alternative rock Haiti of the 90s, future projects, his thoughts on touring and being a musician in the 21st century, and much more. So sit back and enjoy, and stay tuned after it when I'll be playing the title track off the new album. Well, I know that Scarred for Life is the first Medicine album since 2012's Home Anywhere, and I, I was just curious what kind of gave you the idea to do a covers album, because you never really have, have done that before, to, to just do a whole album of, of covers. Right. Actually, uh, Home Everywhere was uh, 14, 2014. Oh, okay. Um, but, um, yeah, I, it was like more of a, a, a therapeutic exercise, I would say, the, the covers album. We were, uh, my, my friends and I were all sort of extremely bummed out with the results of the election. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it just, it was like, just seemed like the only, I don't know, it's like when you're sort of like shocked, <laughs> like everybody else was, <laughs> I'm not going to claim that we're unique in that, but you know. Um, and also, you know, I had just turned 50, you know, so I was like, my kids, like my birthday is literally like election day, you know? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't know if it was exactly on that day, but my birthday is November 6th. So, you know, <laughs> my kid was like, happy birthday, Jesus, you know, I mean, that's just, <laughs> it was like, that's so awful. So, I mean, myself and my friends, Matt and Annette and Jim, <laughs> all were like, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like the thing to do. I don't know. And this label that I worked with, Drawing Room Records, had always encouraged me to do an album full of, of, of all covers. So that was kind of in the back of my mind anyway. And it just, you know, it just happened. And it, was, it just ended up just being a, a, just a, an exercise to, you know, keep from going nuts, you know. Well, do you- <laughs> honestly, <laughs> did did you find it therapeutic? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, like we might have to do another one. Um, I'm suggesting that it be uh, like all ska songs, and we can call it Scod for life. No, <laughs> Medicine doing ska that would be, <laughs> that would be right. definitely be interesting. Well, well, there is a reggae song on, on on this album, after all. So, oh, the uh, the pretty pretty. Yes, I was I was going to say this has been really interesting. Listen to this album because you're definitely not not pulling you know the obvious covers. They're, they're you know they're definitely some obscure. I, wouldn't, I mean, they seem obvious to me, but I, you know, yeah. 
Yeah, I had to do like I was actually like looking them up, seeing like who did what because most of them were, were unfamiliar to me. Um, so I was that's cool though. Yeah, it's very cool. cool. I, I was especially hopefully I I would I, I would love nothing more than to turn people on to Judy Sill and Slap Happy and Jimmy Jupri. I mean that's you know, and to check out Miles Davis elect, uh, Electric Period. You know, I mean that's if that if. If that happens at all, then that's great. If that causes like shoegaze people to look into avant-garde jazz or, or obscure genius female singer-songwriters from the seventies, then I'm all for it. That's great. Well, yeah, because I heard the title track, and I was thinking it was going to be the, the Rose Tattoo song, and then I was like, I was totally right, uh, totally discovering this group yeah. Slap Happy, who which I, I I really I love that song. It's just it's such a beautiful, really cool, moody song. Okay like the best lyric the best lyrics ever in my opinion i mean i just just the most profound lyrics anybody who's ever had their heart broken or or had a you know the had a profound relationship with somebody and parted with them i mean it's just it's peter blankbat is an absolute genius he he had a uh a uh a uh cartoon a, a a comic a sunday uh comic in in um called Le- Leviathan in uh in England and it's it's been collected I don't know you can find it collected but I mean the guy's just you know he's a polymath you know just genius at everything but you know interesting and, wrote, and he wrote Blue Flower which Mazzy Starr did as well so we're we're hardly the first to recognize his his genius but um anyway yeah well, I guess what was what was your uh, criteria for picking covers? Like, when, when were you like? Did you have like a, a list of songs that you always wanted to cover, or how did you decide which ones would make the cut? And 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 how did that come I, about? I'm kind of. I definitely had a wish list, but it, it, it was just a matter of us discussing. It was mostly uh, Matt and I discussing, and then Annette um, brought uh, the Codeine song to the table. I like that one as well. So, yeah, it's really, I mean, and she just, I would never would have occurred to me to do it. And, and she suggested it. And then, it, you know, I'm really glad it happened. So, and it just adds to the randomness of it too, because even though there's sort of a suite of uh, late sixties, California that happens on side one, I mean, there's really no rhyme or reason for it um, other than just, it's just what we wanted to do. You know, there's no, there's no, uh, marketing plan for any sort of demographic. It just is what it is, you know? When you're adapting a cover, it's always, I think there's always the, the balance of how to make it faithful enough so that people can recognize it and also to make it different enough to make it interesting and make it in your own. What, what was the challenge? I guess the most challenging song to adapt and, and how important was it for you to really make them, you know, give your own stamp to it and, and, you know, kind of reconstruct it to, to the way that, that fit your, your thinking. Um, God, I mean, they were all pretty, I don't know. That's a, I mean, that's a, a loaded question. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, cause we tried to find a balance between, you know, but I don't think we had actually, we didn't deconstruct anything. Actually. I think it's all really, re- uh, uh, reverent now that I think of it. I mean, I don't think, I don't think we did anything scandalous with any, with any of it. <laughs> so, 
Um, I just think we did our best, you know, to not, you know, embarrass ourselves too much. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. You know, I, um, it's, it's just, you know, I don't know. Hopefully we're expressing our, our love for the material and hopefully that's what comes through. It's just that we, we chose these songs because we love them, you know? It, it's really just that. It's like a really sincere thing. <laughs> it's not, it's not postmodern at all. It's, you know, it's like we're like, you're at my house and I'm pulling out songs that I want you to check out. I don't know. I mean, I also have this, this notion of us being like my dream bar band, you know, if I was to go to, to be the type of person who went to a bar, if there was a, a band there, that, that, that's the kind of close to what the repertoire I would wish it would be, you know? The kind of mix that it's kind of like your your dream is it's not just songs that you want to. It's kind of your the the trend dream mix you have as far as the the way they were sequenced and all that. Was that did you pay attention to that very much, or was it just kind of? Yeah, I I, I see it like as like a single. Actually, it's like all the hits happen in quick succession, and then it kind of slows down and gets weird on side two. Which, uh, you know, a lot of Eno produced records do that, like Remain in Light, mm-hmm. kind of it slows down as it goes. And, uh, you know, some of the Bowie stuff that Eno produced too. So, so it kind of does that. It's, you know, it's in the spirit of the thing. It's kind of like a single. You've got the A side and then the, and the B side. I mean, which is, you don't need to have it on vinyl to appreciate that you know, how that works or see, you know, see it that it's two halves. I don't know. I mean, that's, I love that medium, the LP medium. It helps to shape a, a project. Mm-hmm. So. Well, was there like any song particular that was, that was, that was like the most challenging was, I mean, with the Miles Davis black satin, was that particularly hard to adapt or did it just kind of all come naturally? No, we used to play that, when you know in the 90s when we were going uh commercial concern and on the road and you know opening for smashing pumpkins on and stuff but we used to drop that into sets and and all the time actually so that was actually almost like cheating because we just had been playing it for years (laughs) so (laughs) so that was that i mean that was you know completely uh that was a, a no brainer as they say but um <clears throat> but I got to work in the uh nobody's called me out on the Pink Floyd guitar sound that happens at the beginning, but <laughs> I was all very proud of myself for figuring out how to do that weird David Gilmore echoes weird bird kind of call sound. Oh yeah, the the, the, uh, the reverse wah thing he used to do. Yes, yes, you know it. Maybe the, the Gullmore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I do that on I you know that's what begins our version of black uh, black satin. Very so there's cool. like fly, there's a sly tribute to Pink Floyd in that, and there's a you know there's a less than sly tribute to the Beatles in the in the uh, Sally goes go around the roses because I'm playing tomorrow never knows on the drums and the bass is 
it's like Taxman. It's, it's it's basically saying, you know, what if the Beatles had done this this particular song in '66? You know, that kind of. I was actually gonna 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 ask about that because I definitely felt that with the with the drum beat for sure had that that feel to it, which I really thought was really cool. It was a really yeah, no, that was definitely Matt. I mean, Matt Divine just said straight up, you know, play the Tomorrow Never Knows beat, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and that that turned out to be absolutely perfect. You know, <laughs> so he's very proud of that. That you know, <laughs> so that really should be. So there wasn't any song in particular that you were like, how do we go about this one or anything that was more tricky than than the rest? Yeah, or? I mean, I, that Jimmy Jufree little quiet little number was super challenging. I played it, you know, note for note. So had to learn, you know, learn some actual composed music. So that was a fun challenge. Is that Was that for the Green Cut Country? Is that, is yeah. That- Jimmy G. Free is somebody I became completely fascinated and obsessed with over the last few years that just reaffirmed that you, you just never know what hidden geniuses are out there to, to, to discover. You know, as a, you know, so I'm just a fan of music. So to, just, to discover this kind of like secret genius, not so secret to people who know about him, but, you know, there's just dozens of his records and almost every single one of them is brilliant. So. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to do one of his numbers, you know, to the T, like, you know, like a, be very reverent once again. I mean, everything on there is pretty reverent, you know? I was also really curious to, 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 uh, to learn that you reunite with your original vocalist, Annette, uh, Zelinskis, am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah, you got it. That's it. And uh, I mean, I think because I think because most uh, a lot of people may not know that you had a singer before Beth Thompson. So I was just curious, when did you decide to reunite with her? And what was that like? What was that process like of kind of reconnecting with her musically? Um, It's something that we've always meant to do because we've stayed friends throughout the years. And it just finally clicked into place. And uh, we're both quite pleased. It was just, uh, yeah, it felt like uh, unfinished business. Uh, you know, that, we, you know, it's always a shame that I didn't make like, a complete album with Annette. So, and now I have. That's a marvelous thing. And I, I'm, I know she feels the same way. So, it's really cool. And she, she just did a bang up job, I think. Exceptional singing. No, her voice is, is wonderful on it. And I, I think I was. Yeah, thanks. So, I mean, have have you all discussed future projects? I mean, uh, as far as like, yeah. where, will she be like the medicine, yeah. medicine vocalist, like ongoing, or or just not really sure how that's all going to play out? Yeah, I, I yes, to, uh, yes to both of those options. Because it's whatever we want it to be, which is really, you know, optimal at this stage in life. So, I mean, you know, um, but yeah, Ned and I are constantly scheming, like, how to do more stuff. And she's got a lot to say and, you know, beyond just doing covers. And So, I don't know. 
yeah, it could it could be medicine. It could be something else by us. We have we have some ideas about that. So, but you know, we're pals. We're uh, you know we have the same. We share a set. We share a birthday. So it's it's kind of a it's a foregone conclusion. But one one thing I. I... I've always loved about about your sound is is your guitar tone. It's just it's so unique. It's got such a diffuse, interesting sound to it. And I was just wondering, does that do you ever change it up over the years, or is it still basically the same the same you know process that you had from the beginning? Do you still use the same pedals, the same amps, or, or has that changed quite a bit over the years? It's it's become adapted, but when I'm going for that specific Madison sound, I mean it, it's a it's a really specific kind of chain of effects but you know i i can achieve that same sound with software if i really need to i I tend to just have a sound that happens no matter what the gear is but that said i do have a dedicated you know medicine pedal board but you know yeah i mean you know to the extent that's interesting i don't know i you know i i my joke is that you know my my um, tombstone will say he played his guitar through a four track cassette player. You know? <laughs> 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 that's what was so cool, though. I mean, I, I mean, you know, that's just yeah. It, it's a good thing to do for sure because it, <laughs> it sounded like it sounded like nobody else. I mean, because I mean, you know, you got. You know the press lumped you a lot of times with the with the you know a lot of the UK bands like you know my play Valentine Slow Dive and Ride and all that but you know right. but you were of you were you know in, in America and kind of doing your own thing did did you feel an affinity for those groups or do you think that was just kind of a lazy way of lumping you in with with it just because it was again yes to both of those options <laughs> <laughs> I, we did, I mean I was I mean obviously I was definitely influenced by my bloody Valentine when we started and I, you know, I saw them in 89, you know, on the isn't anything tour. And I thought they were brilliant. I, you know, I love that. I love Jesus and Mary Jane and cocktails wins and all the expected stuff. But I happen to also have like a much broader, um, you know, frame of reference and was into all the, the good German stuff and you know all sorts of psychedelia and all that so you know i mean i tried to be broader than just you know i just i thought it was great that there were bands that were popular in england that you know that had that were experimenting with sound mm-hmm. and were obviously obviously psychedelic so i just you know i just thought it saw it as an excuse to be like excessively psychedelic you know um and be really bold and obnoxious sonically, which I loved because I was, you know, also a big fan of all the early industrial groups like Throbbing Gristle and White House and, and SPK and, you know. So, you know, it was ideal for me, you know, to be able to mix those things and, you know, one one could, you know, get signed to a major label doing that kind of thing back then. <laughs> Amaz- yeah. Amazingly enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. there is there's something really special about that era as far as letting those kind of outside sounds get somewhat close to the mainstream it didn't last for very long but it was a really right a fascinating i think era for music for sure because of that it kind of there was a lot of a lot of uh clueless 
executives throwing a lot of stupid money around at anything and that might be cool. I mean, it was kind of glorious. It was like the late sixties. We had all these strange major label indulgences by, you know, who knows what it, it, it was like that, you know, <laughs> uh, for a, and so, you know, I took full advantage and that's a wonderful thing. Do you, I mean, do you like being able to be autonomous now as far as being able to put out stuff when you want to put it out or, or do you kind of miss that era of label support or is it just kind of like a mix and match of both? There's good things and bad things to, to both. No, no, I don't miss it. I, I don't miss it at all. That's a, a young, a young man's game, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to, 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 you know, and that, you know, you, I've sort of lost the interest in that, you know, what I describe as the, Hey, look at me thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I've lost, I've lost the "Hey, look at me" thing. Need to be on stage and on camera, and you know. So, no, that's fine. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but I, the, thing, the, the thing is, is I I love recording. I love making music, and I love I love the whole. I love making records, and but yeah, performing not so much. So, just got a you know uh, enough of a uh, of a serving of it back back then so. so i mean there's very rarely live shows dedicated to covers albums anyways but so you're you're really not interested in doing any any performances anytime soon or well you know <laughs> like john lennon said we'll need money first <laughs> <laughs> because i because i'm so, in you know. yeah just kind of go ahead Wait, wait and see, I guess. Or yes, always, <laughs> eternally. <laughs> and, and wait, wait, and and hope nothing comes of it. Honestly, it's you know, I mean, if you knew, I mean, this album would have come out. This album was was finished for two years, and it would have come out long ago if I had been willing to like go on tour with that. Um that new band by the, the uh, Mickey from Lush did. But I, I just, I didn't want to tour. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I'm sure Annette and Matt are plenty annoyed with me over that, but that's just the case, you know, the record is the thing. What do you, the record is the point. What, what do you dislike about touring? Yes. What do you dislike about touring so much? Just having to, rearrange your life and everything or is it just uh yeah yeah it's a, i mean I, it's a terrible way to live i mean it's you know <laughs> you know it's it's no it's awful it's you know i don't know yeah i i have nightmares about it to be perfectly honest oh god <laughs> is that not bad <laughs> yeah well remember i toured back in the days when there was no uh, iPhones and no GPS. So, you know, a lot of getting lost and, you know, <laughs> and not in a, and not in a good way, you know, <laughs> it's stressful trying to make the gig and, and the whole, yeah. And, and the whole, the whole thing of the schlep, you know, like having all this crap that you have to drag from one place to the other. And we always did it super econo as Mike Watt would say, you know, like, we never, you know, had we, you know, we were always in a van with all the gear stuffed in there, and you know, maybe a U-Haul trailer, 
for the gear if we were lucky. But I mean, so, you know, it was like not, it was super indie style touring, even though we were on a major label because of, you know, uh, that's the way they insisted on doing it. So, so, you know, not, not so, not so fun in practice. It seems like the romantic fun thing, rock and roll thing to do to tour, but in practice, it's a lot of shit eating, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's, it's a it's a crappy existence. It really is, and it's fine if you're in your early mid twenties. That's fine, you know. You're made, you know. It's you can handle more of that in your diet. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I'm just you know taking advantage of the whatever I uh, the points that I earned doing that in my twenties to do self-indulgent cool projects now like this to be perfectly honest. <laughs> and that makes, that makes total sense. And, and something I kind of want to go back to what you were saying about how this album came about because you were so you know, bummed out by, by the election and all of that. Yeah. Um, have you ever thought about doing an album kind of like a protest album, because he did a lot of 60s covers, but there seems to be a real lack of, of those these days. There's not really many bands tackling that. Yeah, it's yeah, it's hard. I mean, that's a really good question. And I I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I, I have to think about, like, anything from the past that is overtly political in music that I, I think is good good music. I don't know. You know, I think, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm also willing to say that being an artist of any sort is a political act. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's a good question. It would be nice to have somebody really effectively address it. It's funny. I was watching Midsommar, that, that film Midsommar. Oh, yeah. I need to know? see that. That's, that's on my list. I've been wanting to see that yeah. for, for months. Yeah. I recommend it. I mean, it's, it's really thought provoking, but I, I thought I saw that almost as like a a comment on I mean, because it's cult like behavior, I saw it almost mm-hmm. like as a, a a comment on Trump and, and uh and gaslighting, you know. The the gaslighting of it, that he, you know, engages in. Anyway, so it's but maybe that's just my mindset reading that into it. It's a, you know, great movie and not political at all, but I, you know, it seemed maybe that's why it's resonating. I think possibly. Yeah. It's just seems that, 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 that kind of, it's just kind of got out of fashion. I'm just like, if not, if not now, when <laughs> it seems like, right. like, like, like it'd be a, a good time for some, some protest music, but it's just not really, it's just not, I mean, I, I obviously not, you're not going to see it in as far as like major label stuff right now, because it's all pop oriented and, and, which is kind of depressing in itself. I mean, right. I mean, does it, does that distress you at all as far as the fact that rock music has, has become so marginalized or, or do you kind of like the fact that you, no, t- not at all. I, like I to- think it's completely, I think it's completely dead. I mean, I don't, I don't think any, there's, it's, a, I, you know, it's, I don't see anybody really doing anything with rock music that's in any way, pushing anything forward so i mean there's some bands that are like indie rock bands that i like or whatever but i'm i'm no great like protector of 
rock and roll, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I you know, I like jazz. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's I don't know. I don't. It's really it's sad to see music so severely decommodified. Yeah, devalued. Yeah, it it, it, bo- um, it bothers but, me. Yeah, well, I mean, and I, you know, as somebody who used to be able to like make a decent living from playing weird music, I mean, those, but I mean, there are plenty of periods of time where that would have been impossible too. So that's just one, you know, what's happening now. I don't know. I think everybody loves to, you know, look at the past with the rose-colored glasses and all, but you know, yeah. It's it's always been a rough road to be a musician, especially somebody trying to do something different or whatever, personal or so. Well, do you have any other? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think that. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. I think that's a that's a good answer, just because there's you know it's. There's just so much. It's, it's, there's so many ways to get music out that it's almost it's almost hard to to, to find. It's it's there, but you have to really kind of dig for yeah. it. As far as finding stuff that's not you know lowest common denominator kind of stuff. Right. There's a just a massive shit ton of stuff out there. I mean, it's yeah. It it's not. There's no rarefied space anymore so i mean i i don't know but, but that seems to i i mean you know we only made a hundred copies of this record available because what do you do in, in that kind of circumstance you you create scarcity you know yeah because because scarcity is is scarce you know everything is i mean that's I don't know. I, I think it's it's sort of it's sort of sad, but it's also satisfying to not have a lot of product laying laying around. So I mean, I have no problem with doing small editions and being satisfied with selling a hundred of them. You know, I think that's great. Far more realistic, cottage industry like you know, very no middlemen, very few middlemen, fewer middlemen. Uh, oh. Well, do you have anything else in the works? I know you you know you, you've had a, a lots of various other projects. Are you working on anything else currently, or or what else? Yeah, I'm 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 not sure. There's there's a product a project that I'm working on with a uh, uh, a, a personal hero of mine. Oh, that I, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to talk about it. Yet. <laughs> but uh, I, I can say he's like you know one of the the great guitarists of the L.A original LA punk and post punk scene. Oh. That's and I, I'm helping him make his first work in decades and it's amazing. So <laughs> uh that's that's all I'll say about that. I'm sorry because I'm probably not supposed to fill the beans yet. But and it's you know, not that tons of people will care, but it's super important to me. So I can't wait for that to to come out. So I'm sure if you follow my follow my socials, I won't shut up about it once it happens. So. 
I'll have to, I'll have to be doing some Googling in, until then, see if I can figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the, you know, I mean, some people will know exactly who I'm talking about and other people will be like, Hmm. So anyway, there you go. <laughs> well, is there any, um, I always like to, to end my podcast with, with a, a song off, off an album. Is there any track off this, uh, uh, that's one that you're particularly pleased with the most or one that you think would be a good way to close things out or what's your I guess what's your favorite one off off scar for life oh my god I don't I mean probably I mean you can't go wrong with the with scar for life the opening song I mean you know yeah it's I love that main riff um, it's so pretty yeah it's it's, it's a, just a perfect song I mean it's what I call a perfect song by you know just a, a sublime composer writer you know that you know if I can get more people saying na- the name Peter Blagbad then I'm you know I'm very happy if I can get more people saying the name Judy Sill I'm thrilled you know so I mean that's like in the in my small way it's just my you know fanaticism about the you know the music that I loved you know if I can transmit that a little bit that's fantastic. Well, great. Well, thanks so much, Brad. It was been a pleasure talking to you, and good luck right. with the album. And I look forward to finding right. out finding out your secret project. I'll I'll stay tuned to your media, social media. Right. Oh yeah, you'll be sick of hearing about it by the time it comes out. <laughs> All right, great. Well, you have a great night. Thanks so much. All right, you too. Take care, man. Bye. Okay. Bye bye. Many thanks to Brad for taking the time out to do the interview today. If you'd like to purchase Scar for Life, you can order it on Bandcamp at bradlaner.bandcamp.com slash album slash Scarred for Life dash four. As promised, we're going to close out with the title track, so give it a listen, take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.